Happy New Year and welcome to the first Michael Rothstein show of 2020 live from Regents Field in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. And before we jump in with tonight's guests, Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press and Justin Rogers from the Detroit News, just catching you up on what's happened since Sunday. The Lions have let go of eight staff members, six on-field coaches, and the two main strength coaches. Defensive coordinator Paul Pascaloni has stepped away from football less than a month after saying he wanted to coach for a long time. John Bonamigo, who returned to coach special teams this year, is also out. Entering Matt Patricia's third season as head coach in 2020, he'll be on his third special teams coordinator, second defensive coordinator, and second offensive coordinator. Only two coaches from his initial staff remain, defensive line coach Bo Davis and receivers coach Robert Prince. And of those two, only Davis was a hire Patricia made after coming aboard himself. And the Lions are going to coach in the Senior Bowl. With what staff? I really don't know yet. But there will, they will be in Mobile a little under three weeks from now, while also likely learning a lot about themselves since there should be a bunch of new faces or familiar faces in new roles if lower-level assistants like Steve Gregory and Hank Fraley get promoted while they are evaluating talent for the 2020 draft. We'll dive into that and a lot more with our two guests while putting closing knot on the 2019 Detroit Lions season right after this break. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's True Sports Bar is at 204 South Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by for great food and drink specials, including some gluten-free options, along with free skee-ball, darts, and trivia on Monday nights. You can also host a podcast here just like me. Follow Regents Field on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Regents Field. Now, back to our show. Hopefully you're familiar with both of my guests. Dave Burkett is a longtime beat writer covering the lines for the Detroit Free Press and is the city's Hall of Fame voter next month over in the Super Bowl. Justin Rogers has covered the Lions for close to a decade, first at MLive and now at the Detroit News. Guys, welcome to the first Michael Rothstein show of 2020. Super glad to have you both here on the first show. Mike, I think you uh, remember I was the first one of 2019 as well. But that that show didn't exist due to technical difficulties. All right. right. Happy New Year, man. Dave, are we violating the, the JOA with this? I don't know. I think we're, we're under the same advertising arm, right? So right. everything so I, works. I don't know. Well, it's all good. I'll get yelled at. You won't. You're the Hall of Fame voter. <laughs> so, guys, all right, let's 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 just start here, right? Obviously, there was news on Thursday. Paul Pasqualoni leaves the organization. Jeff Davidson leaves the organization, whether they were – they say they stepped away, but – yeah. I mean, were they did they really step away? What what's your reaction to both of those moves? I, I think the Davidson one surprised me a little bit. Uh not because the offensive line wasn't um meriting, I guess, an overhaul of the coaching, but there were so many worse problems and, and Davidson was a guy I think Patricia really trusted. Bascaloni, I think, should surprise no one. And even though it's a I guess a a surface level move since it's Patricia's defense. Um, I don't think you could go into the offseason with keeping your GM, keeping your coach, and keeping your defensive coordinator and and sell that to, to your fans, to your season ticket holders. I think a change had to be there. This was a guy that said he was, was going to stay, that he wanted to continue coaching. Um, they can push it off, I guess, as a move that, that he wanted to do it. But, uh, I mean, less than a month ago, he was saying that he, he planned to still be here. So I think, uh, you know, this is this is a, a firing, if you will, on, on a, just – presented in a, a more pleasant way because he's his mentor. Yeah, what, what Justin said, I mean, Mike, I think, you know, everyone kind of realizes that, right? Like, Pasqualoni and Patricia are, are boys. I mean, they, you know, Pasqualoni gave Patricia his first major college job 
And uh, it seems obvious that he just let him walk away under his own terms rather than uh, fire him because, as Justin said, I think Justin was the one that asked the question about a month ago, a month ago today, as a matter of fact, that, uh, you know, did Paul plan on retiring? Would he continue to work? And Paul said he had no plans to retire. He had a couple kids to put through college still. So, uh, but no surprise at all that the Lions changed uh, defensive coordinators and really that they changed, you know, this much of their coaching staff for that matter. Yeah, I know the one thing I guess that did surprise me because I know we've talked about it a little bit in the press room here and there is that I thought there would be a better chance that Paul Pasquale would just get kicked to like senior advisory, like still collect a paycheck yeah. type of role and pretty much just allow him to kind of go off into the sunset on his own terms without people remembering him as being a very bad defensive coordinator, maybe calling the plays more than likely not. So that, to me, I think was the biggest surprise. But Davidson was surprised. Justin was saying, like, that was a little shocking to me just because I thought the offensive line acquitted itself well. And when you're Bob Quinn and you put so much into that offensive line over the last four-plus years, and you just it still seems like musical guards <laughs> and centers and now coaches, like, I, I don't know. I just think it's, it seems like it's almost too much of change that, now all of a sudden they're going to have to learn each other as a staff again. And it's almost like they're starting anew. I, I think you're right that there is some risk just being in, you know, um, such a, an important year for, for Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn to have so many different, um, you know, assistants changing out. I mean, look, we all expected a lot of change on the defensive side of the ball. And frankly, the tight ends were, were you know, after the defensive line, arguably the, uh, you know, the most disappointing single unit on the team. So that, that one wasn't a huge surprise, but, Strengths coach, coaches, offensive line, tight ends, uh, you know, linebackers, secondary. And granted, they, you know, there, there may be some people that stay. Uh, Steve Gregory, maybe that's an easy transition where he takes over one of those position groups. Hank Fraley could on the offensive line. But it's still, this is a, a hugely important year, obviously, for the Lions, for Matt Patricia, for everyone involved. So he needs to nail these hires, uh, and the Lions really need to nail this offseason. Yeah, you, you mentioned musical guards. I mean, I think they played that game by choice, if, if I remember correctly. Um, Still yeah, weird that they did it. It, it doesn't make any sense. No. Um, I, I looked at some numbers today, and, you know, you mentioned the investment Bob Quinn put into the offensive line, and, and they still weren't getting the rate of returns. I think we know the job Davison had ahead of him in terms of replacing Ron Prince and, and rebuilding that group, you know, both physically and mentally in some ways. Um, but... I was talking with Dave about this on the car ride over here. You know, I think what he could hang his hat on was the development of some of the younger guys. Joe Dahl and Frank Ragnow took really obvious steps forward, but this was still a unit that was, you know, the ground game was still bottom half of the league in yards per carry, and it still was bottom half of the league in sack rate. And when you invest the resources you've invested during Bob Quinn's tenure, you should be having a, a line that maybe not Dallas's offensive line, but maybe that next tier in, Really, they've, they've been a an average to below average group in all four years he's been here in a lot of ways. Well, isn't that but wouldn't that be almost as much on Bob Quinn? Because he's the one, listen, TJ Lang ended up being a walking injury from almost the moment he got back to Detroit. Rick Wagner has been okay, not, I don't think, worth that money that you paid him. And I mean, the guy, and the guy that we haven't talked about, I mean, Taylor Decker is what he is. I think he's a very average NFL left tackle, but the guy we haven't talked about is Graham Glasgow, who they developed really well. And unless something, yeah, unless something unexpected happens, he's playing somewhere else in 2020. And 
again, isn't that on Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia more than Jeff Davidson? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. You know, I think you can look at not just the offensive line, but other areas where it's been Bob Quinn's focus uh, during his time here. Twice he's he's rebuilt a tight end room and, and hasn't got the, um, uh, I guess, return on the investment. And then also the defensive line here this year. It wasn't necessarily anybody's fault that there were all these injuries, but uh, end of the day, the defensive line didn't come close to, to producing at the, the level that we all expected. That was supposed to be the where the hope lied this year in the, in the defense, and it just never came to fruition. Which, by the way, is the craziest thing, because the only coach left that Matt Patricia hired is Bo Davis. That's it. The only guy that he initially hired, because Robert Prince was a holdover from Caldwell, so the only guy that he initially hired was arguably the coach of the most disappointing unit on their team this year. Can't can't change everyone out, I guess, right? Um, But you're right. I mean, look, obviously Hank Fraley, Steve Gregory, the the assistant coaches, but I think... um, uh, Look, when you start the disappointment, uh, the disappointing things about this season, it starts with that defensive line. It starts with that defense, and that starts with the defensive line. And uh, I think Trey Flowers played pretty well uh, overall. But like you talked about, Justin, with the return on investment for the offensive line, I think the same thing could be said for the defensive line. All the money they sunk into Trey Flowers, into Mike Daniels, even though it was a one-year deal, giving Damon Harrison an extension. Uh, that unit was severely underperforming this year. And and that's really why the defense was as bad as it was. Which leads into this. And I think it's a general bigger question as we kind of review the 2019 disaster of season is what, what went wrong? Like, what do you think was the biggest (laughs) beyond everything? I mean, which is true. But what do you think is that thing that maybe went wrong the most or was the biggest thing that ended up being why this team that, I mean, Justin and I both picked them, I think, at 10 and 6 to start the year. Dave, you had them at 7 and 9. Look, to me, it it starts with coaching. I mean, that's where it starts, right? Look, they, they, they severely underachieved. And I realize injuries were a part of the equation, but injuries happen in the NFL. And... Uh, beyond that, you know, maybe it even starts with the front office because you didn't have the adequate enough depth to, especially at the quarterback position, to survive some of the injuries that you had. But I, I don't buy the injury excuse as an excuse. I mean, it's an explanation for why some things went wrong in the second half of the season. But there were teams that had worse injuries that finished with better records, teams in similar situations losing their quarterback that were able to sustain that. So, uh, you know, the Lions like to point to the fact that they were in close games as as a reason to to believe to me that's I don't know that that reflects poorly on on coaching that they weren't able to get over the hump despite leading 14 games so I think it starts there obviously the players uh share a part in the blame too Bob Quinn uh, I mean it was a whole a total regime failure this year and that's why they finished 312 and 1. Yeah I I like that that Dave brought up the injury point because I've also had a problem with that you know I I don't think it could be you can't blame injuries until after Matthew Stafford went out. And that was the the second half of the season. They were already 3-4-1 and one at that point and legitimately out of the playoff race, really. They were already, I think, three games, three and a half games back of the Vikings for the last spot in the wild card. Um, so as you, you start tacking on all these guys at the R at the year, it's like trying to recreate a narrative that didn't exist when you already fell out of the playoff race. Um, I don't think everything was a disaster. Obviously, they made some pretty massive strides on offense. Matthew Stafford was excellent this year. 
Uh, return the yeah, that's the wide receiver cores in general. I mean, you, get, yeah. you could extend that to Marvin Jones and Marvin Hall, and even Danny Amendola coming in at 62 years old and and <laughs> catching as many passes as his age. I mean, he came in and he told us he was in the best shape of his life, and I I laughed. Like I, I feel bad about it, but like we're so tired of hearing that cliche. But when a 34 year old says it, it's like, okay, come on now goes out and performs pretty well so there were pauses but i look at that defense and we had such high expectations you know they finished top 10 in yards last year they added some pieces it really looked like they were going to take that next step and uh they they took a step and it was um it was backwards it was several steps backwards and uh we we can point to i guess some injury issues up there but Again, every team deals with injuries. And if you can't overcome a handful of them early, where you actually have guys still playing through them, then you know what? That, that's coaching. It's coaching. Your scheme is a problem. Your ability to adjust to the talent is a problem. And the ability to out-scheme your opponents and make adjustments in the second half of games where you're losing these games in the second half is a problem and it was consistent throughout the year mike i just want to point out this one stat that when we were sitting in the back room at allen park the practice facility there where we you know have our little media room that you you uh you raised or or you you know dug up that on thanksgiving when they were eliminated from playoff contention they had five players on injury reserve or maybe they had six because carry on johnson but of the 16 that finished the season on injury reserve seven 16 17 whatever it was five of those were on injury reserve at the time when they were eliminated from playoff contention Stafford wasn't on IR. I would give them credit for Stafford on IR. But yeah, it was less than half. And that's the thing. If you're going to make that argument and listen, you you guys are both in the room. When I asked Bob Quinn about that, he like, beyond the fact that he was clearly trying to avoid my questions for a little while, like he did not like to have to answer that question because and Matt Patricia was the same way because you brought I brought up Pittsburgh with him and he's tried to like be like I'm not talking about Pittsburgh I like I know you're not but Pittsburgh and New Orleans like they both with backup quarterbacks were New Orleans in the playoffs Pittsburgh was in the in the race I mean even Tennessee they went to their backup quarterback and they were in their race and so even the Stafford injury to me I I buy it, but I don't like, I mean, if I'm injury, but I, the argument of like, you, you should be better. And that's on you. No, the, and the Pittsburgh comparison is, is perfect because of the yeah. quality of backups that they went to. They also had problems with Juju. They had problems with James Connor. I mean, they had significant injuries across the board. And yet, as you mentioned, they stayed competitive in the playoff race down to the very end. Now, injuries probably are the reason they're not in the playoffs, but at least they were competitive. Whereas, yeah. Slines team won three games. Right. And, and you can't even point to the AFC North and be like, oh, it's like the NFC East, a, a craft division. Like, Baltimore is in that division. Cleveland was compet- Cleveland was very Bears-like this year, and the Lions were the Bengals of that division. So, I don't know. I just, I'm sick of the injury excuse because, as Bob Quinn said, I'm not going to make excuses. Injuries are never going to be an excuse. But, hey – just kidding. It wasn't even half a second before he said, but we no, had 16 it was, injuries. <laughs> it, it, no pause. Like, yeah, what was it? Was it Tommy, was it, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character in like the original Batman that was Two-Face or whatever? I actually thought like, you were going to go with Tommy Lee Lewis there, which was also an injury oh, problem in training camp. <laughs> All the Tommy Lees are going to be part of this conversation. What, what was the first sign of trouble for you guys this year? Ooh, Arizona, blown lead? Yeah. I mean, you blow an 18-point lead in the opener. That's yeah. where you start questioning the the ability to finish. And I know they bounce back with two wins. 
Um, so Kevin Anderson maybe they kind of put that, that to rest. Flag. Or the, uh, the timeout, call the timeout there. Um, and, and you know what? I mean, look, as much as I hate injuries as an excuse, maybe the first sign was a little bit earlier when so many guys were beat up in training camp that, you know, maybe you saw a little bit of a slow start in the cards. Like, But you're right, that Arizona loss or tie was – it just, I mean, for the second straight year to squander a game against the team with a rookie quarterback, it just it couldn't have got off to a worse start this season for the Lions. And I realized they won the next couple games, and, and there was definitely some optimism when September ended, and they, they played the Chiefs to, to that close of a game. But that, that Arizona game was really, um, I think, the, the thing that let us know that these Lions weren't for real. I, I just went back and watched that game because – that's what I do. I go back and watch things. And, um, y- you know, it was that was a total systems failure. I mean, it was every single level. It was Will Harris being thrown out in a critical situation and not knowing what to do. It was Will Harris again that, that gave up the block punt. Uh, there was uh, conservative offensive calls. There was the, the timeout that probably shouldn't have been a timeout that uh, killed a drive. Then there was the call out of the timeout with the four verticals on third and short and having nobody at the sticks. I mean, it was it was coaching. It was execution. There was a Trey Flowers penalty in the red zone. I mean, it was just a disaster across the board. And, um, you know, sometimes it does take time for teams to gel. And there was a lot of new pieces offensively, uh, coaching, defensively. But, man, I, I know they bounced back with the two wins, but that was the, that was the story all year. They could not finish games. I, I thought for sure you were going to say the Patrick Mahomes scramble. Oh, that, I mean, that because was that really was a, it was. Yeah, you you got to get a stop on fourth and eight, whatever it was, and he runs for fifteen, and that was that was the ball game, and you know that I don't think that led to the the Green Bay loss the next week, but that was the start of it. You know, two zero and one, and you lose that game when everybody thought, um, you know, when you, when it looked like you had it won at the very least. Tough loss two weeks later after the bye against Green Bay, then you no show against Minnesota, and things just snowballed from there. Everybody's going to point to that Green Bay loss too. I mean, that Penalty. that was a psychological loss to to, and, and I think we all can agree. You know, we we generally stay away from allowing officials to be an excuse, but it was a really egregious call in a critical moment. And there there's a lot to be said about mental toughness in the NFL and and getting over hurdles mentally. And the Lions have long struggled with that, and that was that was like a really backbreaking moment for this franchise. And I don't feel like they ever recovered from that. Like that was probably the legitimate start of the tailspin was the mental anguish of being screwed by officiating in Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you can, if you want to, you can even compound on all that, right? Because they had the close loss to the Chiefs, they have the bye, then everything happens in Green Bay. They get, they really get beat pretty bad by Minnesota, even though no matter what the score says, especially defensively, offensively, again, they were fine, but defense, but then to me, it was really just like that whole time in there of, they just didn't seem to be able to really recover from any sort of adversity at all. Like, I think it was that Minnesota loss after because if they had beat Minnesota, I think everything goes a little bit differently because you kind of suck it up. But the way they played against the Vikings really, you know, I mean, listen, if they didn't play the Giants, which were atrocious, this, an atrocious team this year, they would have lost what, 13, their last 13 games more than likely? Like, that's 
that's insane. And it's just, it's just bad all around. And I don't know. I do wonder if they hadn't won that Giants game, if, and this might, this is obviously just conspiracy theory, but if you, if they would have come back, if they had ended the season on a 13, a 12 game losing streak or whatever it is. They ended, they ended on a nine game losing streak with three wins. I mean, I, I, I think they were coming back anyway, but um, it, it is interesting. I, I just thought about how many times like Matt Patricia mentioned, like we just need the, to get the feeling of one to get the ball rolling and they never really got that that one and you know again I think football is such a hugely mental game obviously it's a hugely physical game as well but um, there there is something mental about being able to finish and when you keep losing close game after close game after close game it was it was a snowball rolling down a hill well but couldn't I mean could it also be this fact like Matt Patricia works his players really hard during the week and you got to wonder, like, do they just run out of gas at the end of games? I, I, I thought that last year. I, I don't yeah. think that was true this year. I think he made some adjustments as a coach, and part of that was how hard he worked his players in the offseason. I don't know if you guys sense that. That was never spoken to me directly, and certainly something he wouldn't acknowledge, but I, I do not feel they they worked him to the bone this training camp like they did the previous one. Oh, I'm not talking about training camp. I'm talking about just during the, how they worked yeah. them week to week in season that – I, you, I do wonder whether that because we don't get to see those in season practice, sure. so we don't know. All we know is that a lot of times locker room was open later than than it did, and you know who knows if that's a delay because of practice going wrong or something like that. You just don't know. So to me, that was always something I thought of too. Is that like, well, you run out of gas late in games week after week, like. A lot of averages would say you'd get one unless you've got nothing left. I don't know if I buy that either. I mean, I think you're right that Matt Patricia does work his guys hard, but I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Uh, I just think that they were deficient in a lot of areas, talent-wise, you know, coaching-wise. Uh, that mental fortitude that you talked about, Justin, I mean, I think it all plays into it that there are so many reasons why this thing went went wrong. Maybe that's one of them, Mike, uh, because he does. He does work his, his guys harder, I think, than, than a lot of coaches in the NFL, but uh, again, I, I would put that way down the list of reasons why this season went sideways. Oh, I'm not saying it's like reason number one now. I'm just saying like it could be part of the re- the underlying reasons of why they never were able to really close out games. Because even the Arizona game, because if you go back, I remember him saying it like they played so many defensive plays that they were like, we're tired in the heat. They just need to not start. That was also an indoor building, Mike. Just, just a reminder. Arizona's indoors. I don't know what I don't know how the heat was an impact. But that was what they said. I'm just saying. So, all right. So, a little bit of a positive. Who is the team? Who is your team MVP this year? Like, who do you think? Was, I mean, Stafford would have been if had he played the whole season. Stafford had, like you said earlier, Justin. I think Stafford had a, a, a really nice season. You know, he only played eight games. He was on pace to throw for just about five thousand yards, and you know, really playing at a Pro Bowl level. Uh, didn't get to finish that that season, but I think the offense as a whole took a little bit of a step forward under Daryl Bevel. I don't think it was perfect by any means. I mean, they still, you referenced getting conservative against uh, Arizona. You know, that game, I think he did it. We saw far too often where they would get off to a good start. The opening game scripts were were were, were excellent. You know, they'd lead to some, some points, and then they couldn't sustain that for whatever reason. Uh, but to me, Kenny Galladay, uh, I just think he's one of the better receivers in the NFL, just about 1,200 yards receiving. Uh, earned a contract extension this offseason. To me, he'd be the MVP. I'm not going to disagree, and it, it's strictly because of best abilities, availability. I mean, Stafford was their most valuable player, and I think 
everything we've ever said about him, if, if he went down, they would win two games in a season, was was validated in the fact that they went 0 for 8 without him. Yeah. Um, he, he is their best player. He is their most valuable player, but it's really tough to give it to a guy that played eight games. And, and Galladay did play all 16, did lead the NFL in, in touchdowns. Um, Dave put out some of the other numbers there. Did that half a season with, with Jeff Driscoll and David Blau throwing to him. It, yeah. it was a very impressive season for Galladay. I think he firmly cemented himself in, I, I think, the second tier of receivers and really that maybe even that bottom of that first tier. He's, he's I think, clearly a top 15, borderline top 10 guy in the league now. See, I, I would go with Stafford, even though, yeah, he's only played half of the season. I look at it and say he was so good that first half of the year, and then it was so obvious what he brings to them that the backup quarterbacks, whether Bob Quinn could have gotten a bit, should have gotten a better backup option, which the answer to that is yes or not. I just, I think it was the best season of Stafford's career. Like as far as like, if you take it for what it was and I just think he's, it just showed how valuable he is. Kenny Galladay was great. There's no doubt, but I think that Stafford's value is just so high at this point to the lions. He's, he has proven where two years ago, three years ago, a lot of us were writing, well, like, you know, Matthew Stafford has to prove himself this year. Otherwise, who knows? Maybe he'll be gone or maybe he doesn't get the extension. Now, I wrote it before the season, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you and, and I believed it. I mean, I, I, I only write what I believe, obviously, but he came off a terrible season. I understand his wide receivers were Bruce Ellington and company at the end of last year. But the, the numbers were awful and they were paying him big money. And I just said. He had to get back to being Matthew Stafford or you had to go draft his replacement. And well, he shut me up and that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with being proven wrong. He did the contingency of what I said he had to do. He had to bounce back and he, he absolutely did in the biggest way imaginable. So what do you think is the biggest strength and weakness of this team going forward? Like as, as things are constructed today, knowing what we know, from a roster standpoint? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I was going to say, you keep no comment there. Um, well, I mean, certainly the passing game, right? Because of what we just talked about. I mean, Matthew Stafford took a, a step forward this year, and in, in, in not just him. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, uh, Daryl Bevel, you know, got that, that deep passing game going again that, that lacked the last few years. So, the, to me, they, I think that's an obvious answer is, is the, the passing game. Um, you know, certainly they could be better in pass protection. You know, they, the offense could be more efficient, but uh, that would be the strength, the weakness. God, I mean, I don't want to say the whole blanket statement defense, but they were so bad defensively in all areas this year um, that just they need some playmakers on that defensive side of the ball in the worst way. They, they need a pass rush. I mean, we, we keep saying it over and over and over again, and I know schematically that they um, – they don't push for it always, but you need a pass rush from the interior. You need a pass rush from the exterior. And I, th- I think Trey Flowers, as Dave mentioned earlier, had a, a pretty good season from a quarterback pressures, quarterback hits. Even his sacks were kind of in career line, but um, they, they I think they need. Not enough. Yeah. It's not It's not enough. It's not and, you're paying $90 million. Right. And I, I really think it's it starts with the interior. They had zero rush from the interior. Damon Harrison had six pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, which was basically a third of what he averaged the last four years. Ashawn Robinson had 12 when he had 29 two years ago. Um, Deshaun Hand didn't play. You know, they're just, they're getting nothing from the center. It's letting quarterbacks be comfortable in the pocket to, to not have to move, to not have to 
worry about fading back into that outside rush if they don't get, and, and that's why I think like Derek Brown's a legit possibility because that's a guy that can change that narrative. He can, he can push the puck from the inside. It'll make flowers look better. It'll make whoever's on the edge, whether it's Kennard or someone else look better. Um, not a pass rush. I, I don't know if the defense is going to get any better. It all starts up front. Yeah. I, the defense to me is, I mean, I know, as Dave said, to blanket it is crazy, but like to me, I, I would go a little bit deeper and say I think linebacker is a major issue for them because they've invested a lot there too between Jared Davis and Jelani Tafai and signing Devon Kennard to a reasonable to a decently sized free agent deal and the mystery that is the ever extended Christian Jones contract and their linebackers are just not good. Like they're very average at best. And you've got some, you've got some capital sunk into them and you have to, they have to get better for this team to, I think really do anything and become a better, a better team and and a better defense. Because even if they have a good front and a, and a good secondary, they'll get killed over the middle and they'll get killed in the intermediate time and time and time again next season, if they don't fix that. So that'll be where I think the weakness is. And as far as strength, I mean, I kind of want to just say Matt Prater and, and be done with it because he's the most, one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL. But even, even he might have questions because who knows if Don Mielbach will be back. And I, I don't necessarily think Sam Martin's coming back. So all of a sudden the whole special teams operation is even going to be different next year. And while I asked Matt Prater about that and he said, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like that operation has been together for so long that, you know, you have a couple of mess ups here and there early in the season, and that could rattle more confidence in your only consistent unit. Just so many questions, I think, and so many things to be asked, which leads, I think, to this, which is we were all in that meeting with ownership, you know, two, three weeks ago. What did you take from that meeting? I mean, like, I don't think there's ever been a conversation publicly of like multiple people who've been in there. Like, what did you take from that meeting that you think? can give you any idea of what you think will happen um look i mean um i don't know if i you know buy the logic for why they they retain um you know matt patricia and company but um i think they at least had logic you know i I don't know if it was uh because they you know accepted or bought into what you know patricia and company were selling but i think they they genuinely believe what they were saying you know I, i came away thinking that um, you know, Sheila Ford could, could uh, you know, when she completely takes over, I guess, as, as Lions owner, uh, if that happens down the road here, that, uh, that you know, she'll be a, a strong owner. Um, just, I guess, maybe because we had never heard from her before. And, and it was good to to at least hear that she had a plan or, or hear how disappointed her and in, in, uh, Martha Ford were in, in terms of what has gone on this year. Um, it was good to talk to him. I don't know that anything they said would change your opinion on what you believe going in, whether the, uh, you know, Patricia should return or shouldn't return. Um, but it was good to hear from them nonetheless. I, I think Dave kind of set what I learned. And I, I think that they were willing to buy what, what Quinn and Patricia were selling. Um, you know, they, they repeated a lot of the same things that we've, we've heard from the podium about, process and build and close games and injuries and you know all all the non-excuses excuses that um, have been laid out for for us to kind of nibble on for the last couple months and 
it, it, it is weird. Like I, I do look at this roster and I do look at the game by game performance. And I, I do think at some level that they were a more competitive team in, in 2019. Oh, I think there's a, yeah. Like they, they never got blown out really. Um, yet, you know, the record got worse. And so, um, you know, if you're going to sell that you're one or two plays away and, and they are in, in a lot of those instances, I think you can point to one or two plays every single game and that the foundations are there and, and let us have one more off season to get these, these pieces that'll flip the switch. Then, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is less of a risk than overhauling it entirely. I mean, listen, we all know they're banking on it and that has to, ha- for them, it has to happen because I mean, Martha Ford's in her mid nineties at this point. So to me, and, I, and I've really thought about this a lot is she probably has one more shot to really get it right in that if it doesn't work next year, then you're probably rebuilding all of it. And who knows how much long, you know, who much, who knows how much longer Martha Ford will be around. Hopefully she's around for a while just from a human perspective, but like at some point that has to weigh into like, okay, do I want to, do I think I'll, I can see through another rebuild because she wants to win. And I think that to me, that was the one thing I took away from it is that like, there's always been questions of whether the forwards like actually want to win. Right. Like we all hear that from the fan base. And to me, I, that was one of the things I took away is that they are passionate about winning. I just haven't been able to get any of it. Right. And I mean, it's kind of crazy that they've never been able to get it close to right, but they, I think they want to, which leads to this, which is where do they go? Not the forwards, but where do the Lions go from here? Like, what do they need to do to even have a semblance of a shot? Well, they, they, they can't oh, go down. Yeah, All right. Yeah. D- despite Bob Quinn not wanting to bring it back down to the basement, they're there. There's only one staircase, and it goes up. Yeah. Just how how steep is it? It's all about the offseason. I mean, they again, they have to just nail every aspect of it because, look, I, I came away from that meeting thinking that um, even though ownership said playoff contender, I came away thinking they it was playoffs or bust in, in 2020. You know, I, I just think they, they're obviously fed up with it. They know fans are. I mean, attendance declined for the second straight year. Uh, they're going to have a hard time selling tickets this offseason. They need to make the playoffs this season. And in order to do that, it's not going to be small fixes. I mean, they have the number three pick in the draft. They have to hit on that or, or hit on a trade down where they, you know, they really get some capital that can help them this year. Uh, they have $50 million in free agency or in, in cap room that they can spend. They're not going to spend all of that, obviously, but, but um, you know, that where they can add a piece or two or three to that, that defense. Um, and look, if, if they don't do that, uh, I think we all realize the writing's on the wall, right? And players probably realize it too. I mean, it's the old saying, right? Hey, uh, was it Jimmy Johnson who used to say, uh, they're going to fire me, but right after they fire me, they're going to fire you. So this is, this is everyone that's in it together for 2020. I don't think I, maybe I'm I'm speaking on a turn here, but I don't feel like any of us would be surprised that if they did land the draft and and free agency well, that they could turn this thing around rather quickly. I mean, you don't have 15 close games without not having some kind of foundation. So let's say they go out and they get a Derek Brown or a Chase Young in the first round, and they go out and they find a cornerback that can step in right away in the in the second round, and they find a couple key like Trey Flowers like hits right away in free agency. What's to say that they can't flip the switch on a bunch of these games? I, you know, I, I don't know about the whole rebuild talk. I, I don't, 
most of these pieces I think are, are carryover pieces. I think there's only a handful of pieces on this roster that if you, you did change coaches wouldn't fit with the next one, but um well, they, they have a quarterback too. I mean, that, that's I think that's the biggest yeah. reason to believe that that a turnaround could be in the cards because it's not Jacksonville where you're trotting out Gardner Minshew or Nick Foles or whoever or, or some of these other you know teams across the league. Really, a bunch of them that have um, less than ideal quarterback situations. At least the Lions have Matthew Stafford in the way that we saw him play this year under Daryl Bevel. Um, that if they do hit on those pieces this offseason, that's why they could perhaps turn this thing around in quick order. We haven't even seen Matthew Stafford with Bo Scarborough yet. <laughs> lethal, lethal combination. I mean, you never know. There's a whole It's a whole SEC backfield at this point between Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Justin, in that I think that they can hit it and they can turn it around. I think there's a possibility there, but I think that they need to get, say they make 10 major moves this offseason, right? I think they have to get nine That's of them right. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm talking about between draft and, and free agency. And coaches, and, Mike, why don't you chill? And, and, yeah, and coach. No, and coaches. I mean, I think between coaches, yeah, I, I think you have to hit, they have to hit nine of 10 in order for this to really turn around because I think Minnesota might take a step back next year just because that defense will start to get older and some of those pieces might disappear. But Green Bay is still pretty darn good and Aaron Rodgers still looks looks good and I think Chicago will if they figure out the quarterback situation has a better nucleus than Detroit does so they have to worry about that as well in that those other teams might get better and you have they have to be almost perfect I just don't know if I believe that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia will be able to get that close to perfect because we haven't haven't seen them come close for a long time in the NFC North um, you know as good as the Lions could be they never had the best quarterback in the division uh, this is, might sound silly to some people, but I think that's changing right now, just where Aaron Rodgers is at in his career. Mitchell Trubisky's a mess. Kirk Cousins is what he is. I mean, Matthew Stafford, at least for a very short window here, is the best quarterback in the division in my eyes. And, uh, Mike, you, you, look, you're right that Chicago, some of these other teams can get better, but I think when you have the best quarterback in the division, uh, you, you have more upside than some of the other teams too. No, you're not. You're not wrong there. It's just a question of whether Matt, a Matthew Stafford can stay healthy at this Clearly, point. Uh, that's a big concern right now. It has to, be, even though he downplays it. I think that's a legitimate concern for the Lions. It has to be. I look at Green Bay and and we talk about those close games. Green Bay went ten and one in one score games this year. I mean, that's not sustainable. You know, I, th- I think they're. Uh, Fraud is, is probably too aggressive a word for a 13-3 and three team, but they're one of the worst 13-3 and three teams I can recall ever seeing. I don't think Chicago's that good. I, I, I just don't. I don't think they were that good that last year. I don't think they obviously they weren't that good this year. I think Minnesota's still the best team in the division. Um, they've got a very good running back. They've got two solid receivers. It, it is what you bring it up to, you know, is, is this defense sustainable? Those guys have been played together forever. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Rhodes was the one that, that took the step back this year. Will will he be able to bounce backward? But as long as like the deep, they've got a great defensive mind that could kind of compensate for some of that. I think that's still the team to beat in this division going forward. But the, the, the gap between Detroit and Green Bay, obviously, we saw them play twice. Green Bay led zero seconds yeah. of those games. I mean, that's the the goofy stat. But like it's it's a razor thin margin between the Lions and Chicago and, and the Lions and Green Bay right now. Chicago, it's a little bit bigger of a gap, but Again, if, if they nail the offseason, and I, I don't I don't have I haven't thought that far ahead of what that means and exactly, but 
I, I do believe that they can make that not even that rare in the NFL work, jump from worst to first. Oh, I, no, I, I totally understand all of that. I'm just saying they have to be almost perfect, though, uh, because I think that they do have so many holes and they have so many questions that – and listen, if they don't start off well next year, that doubt is going to creep in immediately because it will be the third straight year that they that that's happened. So that, to me, is part of the bigger issue. So, all right, so let's play crystal ball here a little bit. One year from today will be the last – or one year from today, today, meaning Friday, because that is when this podcast is going to drop, is the final day of the 2020 NFL season because January 3rd is when this ends. Gut feeling, what are the Lions looking at? What's, what, what happens? You're telling me the regular season next year goes into January? Yeah, last, yeah, last day is January 3rd, 2021. Sorry. It's going to ruin my new year. Wow. What was the question again? I'm sorry. I spaced out. <laughs> I've, I've now ruined day of 2020 two days in. Uh, At least there's no games on Christmas next year, right? Yeah. One year from today, which will be the final day of 2020 regular season, what do you think the Lions are looking at? Like, what's happening here? Are they a playoff team? Are they that playoff contender? Or are all of our January long because they're going to have a coach and search and a GM search? Well, I mean, just just playing the odds, the odds would certainly suggest that they would be, you know, changing regimes next year. I mean, that's, you know, you're coming off a 3-12-1 season. You're going to have to, you know, uh, more than – I don't know. You're going to have to win 10 games next year in order to, to, to bring Matt Patricia back, I would assume. So, um, look, we don't know what the offseason holds, who they draft, uh, how healthy they are, who they sign in free agency. We don't know any of that. So it's a little premature for that. But, you know, just playing the odds, obviously, uh, you know, they're entering the year on the hot seat and they need to have a really big season to to get off that hot seat. I don't even like making game-by-game game predictions, Mike, and you're trying to get me to predict – not only the the games, but the entirety of the entire off. Mike, damn it! Um, By the way, Justin says that about once a week in season. Just to be clear, to your face. I know. We just did it again to my um, face. Shoot. Uh, I, I guess I'm firing a coach and a GM today because that's what you put me in a position to do. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I. What do you say, Mike? Yeah, Mike, you make the prediction, jerk. <laughs> I think it's a regime change. I just don't think, I mean, and I've kind of hinted at it throughout this podcast. I just don't think that they're going to be able to do enough. I think they're going to make some steps. I think they could get to seven, eight wins next year, but I just don't think that that's going to be enough to really turn this thing around where they can keep their jobs. I just, I think it, as Dave said, it has to be kind of 10 wins maybe, you know, or, or nine and, and you're playing for a playoff spot in week 17 for that to happen. And I just don't, I just don't know if I see it And that. So again, so much has to happen, but you know, gut today says that it's a huge jump, but you know, obviously look, San Francisco did it this year. Green Bay was the team that won what seven more games than they did a season ago. So it happens in the NFL, as we talked about, you know, maybe they have some of the pieces that, uh, you know, that, that you can see a turnaround um, coming. Uh, But you're right. This is a, this is a big year for, for everyone involved. All the lions fans are absolutely clinging to San Francisco right now. I I mean, that is the, that is the example they want to believe that uh, 
Matt Patricia is Kyle Shanahan and two years of disaster is going to lead to a number one seed in that, that third year. What's probably going to happen is they're going to be eight and six, and then there's going to be some kind of controversial injury. <laughs> they're going to finish eight and eight. We're going to have this, call goes against we're them, gonna have right? the same that, stupid yeah. debate again, whether that was playing meaningful playoff football before Matthew Stafford went out in the third quarter of the 16th game but with a finger with a throwing hand injury that he has to wear a glove on right. so we're all looking at so, the glove <laughs> i mean oh well they approved five wins like that that seems like it's moving in the right direction I'm, i don't know well i'm gonna worry about next year next year michael that's that's fair because we've got 365 days to watch this play out uh, a couple questions from some readers twitter followers or every listeners whatever you'd call it are we taking Eric, calls? No, I have them written down here. I, I would have loved to take calls, but uh, the technology does not presently exist for this podcast. Eric Hippelfan asked, why did they fire? I know, right? I, that's good for Eric Hibble. Why did they fire the special teams coach? Guy is a cancer survivor. Is this really one of their top three issues that need to be addressed? Well, not one let's, of the let's top. strip that first. Like, it, it doesn't matter that John Bonamago survived cancer and his job performance evaluation. So that's a that's a bit of a leading question there, Twitter guy. Um, I don't know. I'd keep him just because he survived cancer. If he can beat cancer, he can beat the Packers, well, right? Good. Somebody needs to inspire this team. Um, I I don't I don't think it was the best firing to be honest with you. I, again, nothing to do with with cancer surviving. I, 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 it's the same thing I said with Davis and earlier. There's so many other glaring problems that special teams didn't strike me as one. They had an ungodly number of penalties early in the year. Uh, that got cleaned up. They were decent in kickoff coverage, great in punt coverage. Uh, Agnew was was towards the top of the league in both punt and kickoff return, buoyed by touchdowns, no doubt. But Matt Prater continued to be Matt Prater. Like special teams weren't a problem. I, I think we all know Matt Patricia puts this this emphasis on special teams, and I I think he wants to be an elite special teams unit. And I don't think they were elite, but they were above average. So I I don't really I don't know why Bonamago got fired. To be honest with you, it, it didn't make much sense to me either, especially because if you know your like we were talking about kind of at the top, you're now on special teams coordinator number three, defensive coordinator number two, offensive coordinator number two. Why? So you're not having any continuity. Why wouldn't you keep continuity in a one place you could, especially because there is a chance that your players are not going to be have continuity there because who knows how many of their special team stalwarts, be it Miles Killebrew or Steve Longa or you know, CJ Moore or D Virgin or any of their Jalen Reeves, maybe a lot of these guys are in contract years. Who knows if they'll be back? We don't know if Sam Martin will return. Don't know if Don Milbach returns. All of a sudden you're basically wiping the special teams along with possibly along with wiping out most of your defensive staff. It just seems like what we were talking about earlier with the, what they have to do. It just seems like an added thing that you're trying to fix. That doesn't make sense. Now maybe Matt Patricia has a special teams hire he knows he's going to make that's going to be this like fantastic special teams hire that people are going to be like oh wow can't believe you got him but unless you get that guy it just seemed really weird I would just to me because you beat cancer <laughs> I mean it's great that he honestly it's great that he did and Bono, Bono I think all, all of us would agree is like a really he's a, he's a really easy person to work with he's always on he's 
usually very honest and very willing to talk to the media, which a lot of coaches won't do. So, yeah, you know, all the guys we like to talk to not and that that wasn't a reason why you keep a guy and it. I don't think it was a reason why they're fired, but I'm going to, I'm going to pour out a little for Al Golden. I'm going to pour out a little for John Montemago. Like there was some guys. I, I genuinely liked his people in there and uh, appreciated the dynamic, but no, now we just got Bo Davis, who I think half of the answers he's ever given me to questions were just grunts. And then I got to live with that. That's okay. Hey, listen, Paul Pasqualoni really seemed to enjoy your questioning, though. Oh, we we got along great. Paul Pasqualoni and I had a one-on-one conference call every week. There was like 42 of you on the line, and I'm the only one asking the damn questions because, I don't know, it's a burden I have to bear. Magic Messiah asked, what's the difference between position versatility versus position quality for the staff? I know what it should be. As in, why do they value position versatility over position quality? I, I, I believe that, yeah, I yeah, think that's I mean, the, the understanding. You know, just how Matt likes to run his defense. He likes all these interchangeable parts. I mean, I like, to me, right, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, I think they, they suffer from some of that here with the Lions, but that's what Matt Patricia wants in his defense. They think that's a way to, uh, you know, supplement the depth, I guess, you know, to, to be able to, to withstand some of the injuries. But obviously that proved this year to, to, to be false. So you didn't like the Jason Cabinda fullback, Jamal Agnew at I wide actually, receiver you know season finale? Jason Cabinda kind of, you know, he played well on special teams late in the year. and Give him some credit for playing fullback. I'd, I'd bring him back. So, hey, don't forget about Joe Dahl fullback, by the way, from a year ago. Loved it. 300-pound fullback. I, that, that's, my, that's like me playing Madden in 95. Like, just let me see what I can do to, to screw with my opponent. But – yeah, yeah, Joe Dahl, by the way, Joe Dahl was on this podcast about two months ago, and I asked Name him about drop. playing. How did you sucker? What? Wow. So, so he came on here, and I asked him, I was like, did you ever, like, actually carry the ball? Or, like, what would happen if they threw the ball to you? And he was like, oh, that would have been, like, the worst thing ever. Like, he was he was very, very scared of what would have happened if that had, had it happened. So, so to, to quickly answer the question, though, yeah, you, you want – quality as starters you want versatility in in depth in my opinion you want experts at their position playing the majority of snaps but when you have injuries it's it's nice to have a guy that can play three four spots i get that i get the value of a kenny wiggins that can play all five spots i also don't think kenny wiggins is a starter in the nfl and no offense to him good guy i I think he serves a role well but I hated that guard rotation this year because I thought it was unfair to the better players that won the job. You know, you need Kenny Wiggins I mean, I, in a pinch, fine, but you don't you don't want him playing seventy four snaps a week. Yeah, I mean, I I think that was still one of the more confounding things of the year. I think we all understand like the back end reason of why that happened, the guard rotation, but it just never ever made sense to me, and frankly, never will. No, if it was a young guy. If it was like a second or third round pick and you were trying to give him a taste, that makes perfect sense. When it's Kenny Wiggins and you saw him last year and you knew exactly what his strengths and weaknesses were, and you know that you've got a pretty good guard in, in Graham Glasgow, I, I don't know if we any of us really knew what Joe Dahl was beyond what we saw, but make the decision and go with it. Don't pull off your, your most consistent offensive lineman for three years for a guy that uh, basically got pantsed by Aaron Donald repeatedly last year. Everybody gets pants by Aaron Donald. That's not fair. <laughs> so, 
so all right so a couple like more fun questions i guess like what's your favorite lion story from your time covering the beat favorite lion story well you're talking about stories we've written or are you talking about like pizzagate from uh, nate verlison with uh yeah. okay my, my favorite story of all time is joik bell i'm sorry not joik bell tatum bell stealing rudy johnson's luggage so i mean that wasn't like the best story to write but what, what team does that happen to where a, a one running back steals another running back that they just signed his luggage? And I, I don't know. That's, I kind of, now I'm wondering where Tatum Bell is these days. Is he still working? He was working for like a cell phone shop in Denver or something like that once upon a time. So I, I wasn't there, but wasn't Rudy Johnson also the player that told another player to stop talking about having a gun in his car? Oh, uh, I, I don't, that I, I'm not been, naming players because I don't know how public this story is. That was Kevin Smith. I'll name him. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember if that was, if that was, God, I think it was, that, I think it was, Rudy was Johnson Rudy, trying to get yeah. Kevin Smith to but shut Kevin him Smith out. was, he was just young and he didn't know any better. And somebody asked him about guns. And he's like, yeah, I got mine in the car. And another one was when Ke- Kevin Smith was sitting, riding a bike preseason. And he's like talking about getting, where do you go? Central Florida. And he's like, yeah, I mean, we used to get free oil changes and free this and free that. And it was me and somebody else. And we're like, you know, that was illegal, right? Like, that's a, 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 a violation of NCAA rules. And he was like, what? Like, he just he, <laughs> he just had no concept of what was legal in, in NCAA football and not. So it was. <laughs> Everybody's a little bit more polished these days yeah. with the combine interviews. <laughs> Kevin Smith was great to cover, by the way. As you can tell, he was he was pretty open about things. So. Good coach now, too. He's produced a couple of good running backs down there. So. I don't have any good stories to add to this right now. I mean, I, that, that's something I'd, I'd like to think about. I mean, in general, I've just enjoyed covering Darius Slay. <laughs> I mean, every every interview is just, I, I can't wait to see what term I have to look up at Urban Dictionary afterward to know what Darius Slay was talking about. Um, transcription's an absolute nightmare, but I love talking to the we, uh, Mike and I were talking about him the other day. I mean, he's the most genuine player I think I've, I've ever covered. He just really is. Yeah. You, he's a genuine You hear guy. childlike enthusiasm, and and I say that in the most positive way. I mean, yeah. the dude just has – Eric Ebron came to this team and said, I've never had a bad day, to which I say – what can I say on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> to that I say – you can edit this out. Liar. Bullshit. <laughs> Eric Ebron had a lot of bad days. Darius Slay, I don't know if Darius Slay's ever had a bad day outside of the day Quandre Diggs was traded. Yeah, that was not a good day for like, Darius that, Slay. Like, that guy is always happy, always the day, positive. The day Glover got cut was probably not a great day for him. Yeah, but he, everybody knew that was coming. So, uh, yeah, Darius Slay's my favorite person to cover. It wasn't the question, but that's your answer. By the way, I think Eric Ebron did, had another bad day today, just for what it's worth. Yeah, it's not going great for him. No, not not at all. But, no, I agree. I mean, to me, Darius Slay and I think Calvin Johnson was fairly genuine as well in, in how he approached. He just didn't like to talk. Yeah, I, I always hate, like, when people try to force humility on a superstar because it's always so disingenuous. Not with Calvin Johnson. Like, he – from my, my first day in the locker room – uh, I believe the Lions were playing the Bucks. Is that where Talib was? Akeem Talib was with the Bucks at one point. Is that right? Sounds right. Yeah, and like I was just doing a, a, a total rookie reporter story about you know best on best, like going against a good corner. And I went to Calvin Johnson's locker and I asked for an interview, and he gave me a one-on-one interview like my first day in the locker room. And I, that to me says everything about him because if if you know going to the locker room, like 
people think we could just talk to whoever we want to whenever we want to but you know it's really it's up to them and a lot of those guys avoid the locker room large stretches of the week or in some cases forever with deandre levy um you know and, and lots of guys reject interviews especially if you don't have a rapport and and calvin johnson gave me his time day one and, and i'll never forget it like it just that's that's who he was I mean, to me, to me with Calvin, I think you really saw it when, and Dave and I were both there right after he retired, we were both out at his camp and legitimately like you would think like most NFL players have like assistants to set up like cones and this and that Calvin Johnson is out there like setting up like the orange cones. Yeah. And like making sure like everything was right. And like, he's running through all the drills himself and he he was retired. He had all the time in the world. But no, he even did that when he was right. Like, like that was the thing. He that was just who he is, and you even saw it when he like would run his dinners and would run the foundation. Like most athletes are involved in their foundation, but not like involved in their foundation. Calvin Johnson is involved in like every step of his Stay foundation. Involved one more time. No, <laughs> no, you're not going to get me to say involved or damn it. Uh, no, in all like he was very genuine. And I think Darius Slay is the same way. And I, I mean, I appreciate that. To me, my favorite story is still the Indomitian Sue stepping on Aaron Rodgers and pretending his feet was fro- feet were frozen, and then had an entire press conference like ignoring that that entire fact. Um, and and we, I think, as a press corps, we were probably a little bit snarkier then. You were snarky. Michael. Fair enough. I was snark here. The, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe Mike, as he, as he was walking off or something, he's like, well, if you could feel your feet or something like it was, it was so like. <laughs> no, I asked him if his feet were still frozen. <laughs> yeah. Sue was a treat to cover too. I mean, in covering Sue, you never knew what you were going to get. I put out a of stomp in my stories of the decade. I mean, was there a more defining story than the stomp? The first stomp? Kelvin walking away, but no, you're right. I mean, it was... No, no, no. I, I mean, of Sue's... Of him, yeah. Yeah. That, that created the image of Indomitian Sue for, for years, forever. Yeah. At least among Lions. Forever. I think I've told you guys this. I, I, I still can't quite get over it. I, I went to Portland on vacation with wife a couple years ago, and uh, we went into a restaurant at like 11 a.m. because we're still on Eastern Time, and one other person in the restaurant is Indomitian Sue, and I hadn't seen him in five years. I've been in Por- I know nobody in Portland other than Indomitian Sue and maybe Joey Harrington. I don't know. And uh, I don't know. Like I walked up to him, and before I even got to the table, he greeted me by name. So maybe he does have a photographic memory. Yeah, I don't know. He was I've, not reassembling a phone at the I've time. I've said it. I know you got the calls too. That um, whatever the the impetus, whatever the reason. I mean, just the fact that when things were going bad for him, and he knew. You know, he, he was trying to curry some favor in the media, create better relationships. And he reached out to all of us just to, you know, make that phone call and say, hey, you want to sit down? And I thought it was a coffee. prank. I, I, honestly, my my I, I think it was my daughter was probably laying on my or maybe my son. I forget what, exactly what year it was, was I, I was holding one of them in the arm sitting on a chair and I got a 540 area code. I think that's Portland. Yep. Or 504, whatever 504. it is, 504. And it, you know, it, I, I looked down and I was like. Oh shit! What happened now? Like that—that's what went through my head. Like, uh oh, you know, he had—he had. There had been so much so editing much, in this yes, podcast. I know there there was so much going on off the field with him at times that I just, you know, my initial reaction was another accident, something happened, and it was him. And he said, "Mr. Burkett, this is Indomitian Sue," and I was like, "What? 
Hello? What? Yeah. You know, so it was, I was at a bachelor party. Like, give him credit for reaching out to us because there's a lot of athletes, no matter what yeah. their reputation is, that don't do that. No, I, I agree. No, he. I think he's very, very aware, and I think we all know this. He's very, very aware of his, the perception of him publicly. I love covering and he can, Right, and he, and he, and he care, and I think he care or cared more about it than most athletes. Because I think a lot of athletes don't really care about that. He clearly did. What What do you think this city would be? Because both of, both of you guys are from here. You you're you've lived here pretty much your whole lives. What would this city be like if the Lions ever consistently won or somehow made a Super Bowl? Because that's something I, me as somebody who's lived here for ten years but didn't live here for thirty or so, like can't still can't totally comprehend. Well, I mean, I, it's not, it's not just Detroit, but Detroit's in the mix of it. Like the Midwest in general, sports are everything. Like they're so huge. It's it's Chicago, it's Ohio, it's it's Detroit. Um, that I, I think the the passion for sports isn't as across the board as it is in the coastal regions. Not not that you know New York doesn't have great sports scene, but like the the knowledge and the love of sports teams transcends generations and age groups and everything in the Midwest. So I, just like anything else, when when something's big here, like the whole city. And the whole state is just on board. And, man, we, we've seen everybody else compete. We've seen the Tigers. We've seen the Pistons win three titles. We've seen, I don't know how many of the Red Wings won a lot. Um, and, and Detroit was hockey town. Like, there's no business for Detroit to be hockey town, but that's just how big things get here. The Lions were ever good. I think it really would transcend all of it. Like, it would be, it would be very similar, I think, to the Cubs run. I, I just I believe that I think like the whole nation would be behind it and the the heart would be so strong within you know this city and this state. I mean I, I agree what 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 Justin said you know it's just the fact that fans still continue to show up the way they do and support this team the way they do and not just support the team but you know some of the the passion they show for when their things aren't going well. Um, you know there's there's a lot of places where where. You know, there's half-empty stadiums and, and fans tune out the product. And, look, I, I realize there's some apathy this year, but I think um, that just tells you how 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 much, um, like Justin said, sports, but the Lions in particular mean to these people. And, yeah, it would be uh, it'd be a, quite the sight to see if, if the Lions won a Super Bowl. Dave, Justin, thanks for uh, coming on down to Regents Field in Ann Arbor and, and coming on the podcast and generally putting up with my annoyance <laughs> for the well, past seven seasons. Oh, no, I, I, I fully acknowledge and embrace it now. Very, much more self-aware than I used to be. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, always, uh, always good to come down. And uh, like I said, man, oh, second time here. So if you ever find that lost episode of the very first one, when you become famous one day, I want you to, I want you to make sure that the Wikipedia entry says first podcast guest, Dave Burkett. Was that the one where Dave was pushing for Patricia as coach of the year at two Oh and one? No, that was the one where, where Mike asked me if I'm like Patricia as a basketball coach. I think we, I think we, yeah, we, we talked we about something like that. So I've decided you're more, I, I've decided you're more like Bobby. Carlos says I'm like Patricia as a basketball coach. So. I, I don't really, know. If, I don't like end it there. Yeah. Like, no, right? yeah. Like, are you emotionally scarring these nine-year-old girls? <laughs> Dang. I hope not. I hope not. All right. Do you guys finish close games? 
Uh, yeah, we got a good team this year. You know, we're, uh, are you even in close games? Are you blowing people no, out? We, we really, uh, you know, we. Uh, are you more Belichickian? You see, just now, ruthless. Now me off on a little tangent here. We're yeah. probably running over your time, but. No, we did. So at the beginning of the year, we started off by by beating our nemesis. I don't know. We lost to this your team nemesis. three times last year, or whatever. You know. So and your Packers. Was, yeah, our Packers. So yeah. we beat them. But then you know, league play, we've we haven't had many close games. Did you play. did you snap a twenty six game losing streak at their gym? It was it was at their gym. It was a three game losing streak, and uh, yeah, you know, I'd like to think that the. Uh, what, what's your record now? Uh, we lost a couple in this uh, Christmas tournament that we just played in. Uh, are you, are you saying you're better than what your record is? Completely. Yeah. Wait, so you aren't what your record says you are? No, we are what we own our record. Uh, believe me, we, I, tell, I tell my we, we have a scrimmage tomorrow. I don't know okay. when this this podcast is airing, but we have a scrimmage Friday. And I'm gonna have to have a, a real serious talk with my girls about. Uh, you know, um, we have some we have expectations that we have to live up to now. I, and, I can uh, see yeah. your daughter over there playing skee ball for the last hour. I don't know if she's going to have any arm strength left to shoot a jumper. That's right. Tomorrow, the scrimmage is, you know, we got a game Saturday. We get back at it Saturday. Okay. So we're, All right. The scrimmage is just a little warm up. On to the next one. You're on to whatever on to Catholic play. school team on it is. Council. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, guys. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's True Sports Bar is at 204 South Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by for great food and drink specials, including some gluten-free options, along with free skee-ball, darts, and trivia on Monday nights. You can also host a podcast here just like me. Follow Regents Field on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Regents Field. Now, back to our show. And that's another episode in the books. Thanks to my guests, Justin Rogers from the Detroit News and Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Burkett. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Rogers. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Instagram there as well. And check out my travel blog on my website, michaelrothstein.net. Thanks to my producers, Matt Leach, Stephen Arkinall, and David Woodley, and my designer, Samantha Holt. As always, thanks to Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Come on by Regents Field for great drink specials and delicious food, including some gluten-free options. You can play some free skee-ball and darts as well. We'll be back with another episode next week. Let us know who you'd like to hear from in 2020 as the podcast continues to grow. And now that we're in the off-season, we'll be diversifying our guests. So if there's someone even away from the world of the Lions you'd like to hear from... Just tell me. As always, rate, review, and subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Thanks, as always, for the time, and we'll see you next week.